0: Safe to Safe is an app that rewards safe driving. Do you find yourself wanting the peace of mind that comes with knowing where your family is, but not wanting to be that mom that's always asking, where are you? Are you there yet? How long will you be there? With Safe to Safe Fam, you can have the comfort of knowing that your people are safe. You can see where they are, you can see how safely they're driving, and you can even receive notifications when they have arrived safely at their destination. Equip your family today with tools and knowledge needed to make sure that everyone arrives safely while receiving sweet rewards for not teching and driving. Restaurants like Jersey Mike's, McDonald's, Schlotsky's, Chick-fil-A, La Madeline, Smoothie King, all of them offering free food that motivate you and your family to not tech and drive. Start with 500 free points by entering the code Allison when downloading. Download Safe to Save today. Safe, number two, save. Welcome to Center St. Sister, where we dive into the highs and lows of life with honest conversation. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would love it if you hit subscribe. If you hear something in today's conversation that might benefit a friend of yours, please consider sharing it with them. I hope that you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center St. Sister. Over the years of being a Christ follower, I've been in some really beautiful Bible studies. And always the women they include end up feeling divinely jigsawed together so that we make up something bigger than just ourselves, a body. And our body laughs too loud and talks too much. And sometimes she says nothing at all. Sometimes she grieves. Sometimes she celebrates. Sometimes she gives and sometimes she takes. Sometimes she's full of glorious wisdom. And sometimes she just searches with her best intentions. Together, we lament the demands of our culture. We wrestle with the best ways to serve our God, our families, our neighbors, and ourselves all at the same time. We celebrate and complain about our motherly duties. We're cynical about how perfectly nice people can be so irritating on social media. We wonder if our kids' sports schedules should be causing this much strife. Competitive friends, exhausting extended family, non-believing loved ones, hateful thoughts, busy scheduled, and impure hearts. And that's just on the lighter days. On the darker days, because there are those two, we've grieved insensitive husbands, marriages that might not make it, terminally ill siblings and parents, their pain and the pain that is left in sicknesses wake, lost children, and not just for the time being, but gone altogether. Nothing for us to do, but to try to pick up the pieces. But how do you pick up the pieces when there is simply nothing but dust? You don't have to listen to us long to know that we do not think that our lives are easy. We were in Philippians one week in particular, and we couldn't help but notice Paul's insistence on joy. So we talked for a while about maybe pushing through all of our groaning and insisting on the joy that we thought Paul would want us to, albeit with gritted teeth and white knuckles, joy. But on my way home, I had the thought that strife might just be okay. I was in my car alone listening to what I wanted to listen to, and a song came on that I hadn't heard in a while. And I was holding my hands high to it because being at Bible study with women who get me and say me to really make me grateful to God. And both hands were high at a red light, and I was singing at the top of my lungs. My car often gets the truest versions of myself, both the good and the bad. It's where I'm most likely to give my most honest praise and where I'm most likely to cuss someone out, presumably both because no one's looking. Regardless, in this instance, I was praising God with my most sincere heart when I heard myself sing the lyric, all I know is that I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. And I thought, yes, that's right. A life with less strife is not only not going to happen, but maybe it's not even supposed to happen. We should be feeling greatly uncomfortable. Maybe it's even a sign that things are going well. We were designed to enjoy a more perfect world than this one. We were designed for more. So instead of wondering what I'm getting wrong because I'm not sailing as effortlessly as those around me seem to be, I can instead embrace that I am someone who has never been very good at denial, but as someone who deeply loves the Lord and seeks heavenly things, not of this world. And because of all those things, I am someone who will, I suppose, just continue to groan about the things that are not mine yet even though groaning is what everyone seems to be trying to desperately escape. I read that an aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but instead of realism. Heaven is not here, and we are not there. And because of that, we either groan or pretend that we don't. I realize there's something relieving about everything having a tidy answer. There's something soothing about always knowing exactly what to do to make things better. Knowing how to correct something implies that we have control over it, but what if there is no correcting? Is it terrifying to stare at a problem that doesn't have a solution? Yes. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just not home yet. My friend Sarah Braden runs a nonprofit called Our Terminal. Her mother was given a terminal diagnosis, and Sarah, as her primary caregiver, ushered her mom into heaven. She followed a nudge to write and tell their story, and now she runs Our Terminal to help individuals and families navigate terminal illness. In this episode, you will hear about her important work and her wise perspectives regarding terminal illness. You can learn more about her work at OurTerminal.com. Santa Clara Design Boutique provides accessible and affordable ways to create beautiful, sacred spaces in your everyday. Creating spaces that reflect what is true and good and beautiful is near and dear to owner and lead designer Lauren Gouldy's heart. Visit Santa Clara Design online at santaclaradesign.com to find a wide variety of Catholic art, prints, canvases, stickers, printables, teas, mugs, totes, and more. Center St. Sister listeners get 10% off of their print and sticker orders with code Center St. Sister. Sometimes on a really hectic day, I'll head over to at Santa Clara Design on Instagram to scroll and just take in all of the piece. Head over there on Instagram at Facebook at Santa Clara Design to join their email list. Yay! Sarah, I'm so glad you're here. And I have to tell people how we met because it's bizarre to me and I never would have guessed it. And it's one of my happiest reminders that I just kind of need to mind my own business when I'm trying to like pin the workings of God. But um, you and I, you and I met through acting. So my oldest son Silas and I were in an acting program, Nikki Peterson, we love you so much. And your daughter was also in the program. And I have to be honest here. I this is a shortcoming that I'm acknowledging, okay? Um mm-hmm. but I had very preconceived ideas about the other um grown-ups, the moms that I would be around mm-hmm. in this program because it's a program for kids and I just happened to be sure. this kind of strange outlier. And I knew that I would love the other artists in the group, but I thought that the people my age, the moms, um were going to make me feel very tired. I thought Mm -hmm. they were going to be stage moms. And so, um, (laughs) and then I met everyone and everyone was so lovely and so kind and so adventurous and artistic. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. You're the best and I'm the worst and I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But Sarah, you are so easily one of my very favorite people. And the gifts um, that we're going to talk about that you have um, today are so many of the reasons why you're such a talented seer and knower, and truth teller, and just a real accompanier. You're such a good friend. And you so easily come alongside people who are in pain or having trial. And you never, um, you never overestimate your words. You know, you're kind of fine to, to sit there and just hold space um, for someone, but you never underestimate your presence. So there is just something so calming and comforting about your presence. We met during a difficult time for me. I guess all of us, really, the world is kind of struggling, Um, but we have shaken our fists together, you and I, and I have learned so much. Um, from the answer that you demonstrate to me, which is that, you know what, I don't know. You're so fine to say, I don't know, but I can live with that. And um, sometimes that can feel like a non-answer, but it's real. And so I'm just constantly reminded by you um, that the God who loves me is still at work. And I am just so, so grateful that you're on the show. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, Thanks, Allison. I'm so excited to be here and your words truly mean a lot to me. And I just, um, I appreciate how we met because (laughs) on the flip side, I sat in the back of that acting room, also worried about friendships and making connections with other moms. And I just knew the first time I saw you up on that stage that God had just gifted you in a special and unique way. And my very favorite thing about you is that you're willing to talk about hard things there's so often that I'm processing something, but can't put words to how I feel. Mm. And then I read something you wrote or mm. a text that you sent me and just feel like God through you said exactly what I needed to hear. Oh, and so thank God. you for having hard conversations, even like this one and talking about hard things, because so often we want to steer clear of the things that make us feel sad or uncomfortable or things we don't understand. So yes. Just thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here,
0: Ah, oh, me too. I'm so glad we're friends. Um, okay, so we're here to talk about a specific kind of suffering. Um there's suffering that that gets better, and then there's suffering that does. I guess I should say illness. There's illness that gets better. And then there's illness that that doesn't. And you have experienced the lost the loss of a loved one to terminal illness. And then, when you did, you answered this holy nudge to share your story and to process um, and to help other people process. And to do that, you you wrote a book. You wrote a devotional, and um, I, what I love about it is that it's not just for someone accompanying someone or care doing the caregiving, um, but it could also be for the patient themselves. You just you have this really expansive approach, and um, it's so effective in making people feel. I I think that one of suffering is terrible, but the only thing worse is suffering alone. And, um, you really come alongside people in, in their grief. And I, that's so often a thing that, um, we do well, (laughs) I Mm. think that, you know, we can overuse, um, some platitudes that can be hard to hear and, um, and you just do it so well. And I wonder how much of that is because of how you chose to do it, which is through storytelling. Um, I feel like you just told us your story and I feel like storytelling is just this fundamental part of being human. It connects us to each other in emotional ways and in also ways that are that are memorable. So I guess I would just love for you to start out, you know, giving kind of the highs and lows of your story um, and, and just introducing yourself in that way and a little bit of what you've been through.
1: Sure. So, My mom texted me one day and said that she was moving to Oregon. We lived in Oregon at the time and she had lived in Texas pretty much her whole life. And it was uh, was a shock to read that text because she valued community and friends and for her to leave all that behind to move out near us was um, just something we didn't expect to ever happen. So we got that text. She moved a few months later, bought a house sight unseen like a mile from us. And within about three months of her living out in Oregon, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she had had cancer before, but this wasn't a recurrence of that. It was a different cancer, a new cancer. And so really took us by surprise. And over the next five months, I just became her primary caregiver and her closest companion and really got to see her experience her own death up close. And it really changed a lot about how I viewed my mom, but also a lot about how I viewed death and dying and suffering. And so when she got diagnosed, a good friend had encouraged me to journal, which I'm not a journaler at all. Don't like it. But she said, I really think you need to just every day write one way that you saw God move in your day. It could be big, small, but just promise me you will want to have these written down for for you later to look back on. So I started keeping a journal and just over the course of mom's five month illness, just really began looking back at those pages and seeing God's faithfulness in our very hardest season of life. And so what really prompted me to write the book later was in mom's very final days, like one of the last conversations she had for me, she had me climb up on her hospital bed and she hadn't communicated a whole lot, but she said that she wanted me to promise to do something for her. And this was really kind of her last wish for me. And she said, I I really ask that you share a story with the world. And I told her, I'm like, mom, I'm not a writer. I'm not going to write a book. And she's like, you can't tell me no, because I I'm dying. Like she, she was very frank about it. And she's like, you can't say no. I'm like, you're right. I can't say no. So in that moment, I just said, mom, I don't know what God's going to do, but I promise to be faithful. Hmm. And, um, so after she died and, um, I started the grieving process. I just felt God nudge me to take some steps forward into turning her story and God's story into some kind of written word that people could be encouraged by. And mm-hmm. out of that came our organization and our very first devotional book. Wow.
0: I love the idea of, okay, my job is to say yes in this Mm -hmm. moment to this holy nudge, to this, you know, inner tug. um, And then the rest of it is God's business. It's kind of above my pay grade to like ensure that, you know, this certain thing happens. Like how much of fixating on outcome, how much does that keep us from holy work, you know? Right. Right. How much does it matter? Um, you know, I have this this great complaint <laughs> about the Christian public experience. Maybe it's the public experience in general, but in this age of influencers or, I don't know, elitism or whatever. But my problem is that we so rarely see um, despair modeled for mm. us. We so rarely see pain modeled for us. It's like people with public lives will... Um, kind of wait until the trial or the lesson is over mm. and then they might share their lesson and it all just, it feels just a little bit um, contrived. It's like, well, there was hurt before, but then God did this thing and I learned this from this thing and now I'm better and here's how you can be, be better too. So it just, it feels a little bit um, prescriptive. It's like, I I never see fierce anger, you know, or, mm. or earth shattering doubt. And um, in my opinion, it's just criminally Undiscussed, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, but you really took us through sometimes day by day, you know, moment by moment, and um, and we see you in this devotional. We see you grapple with the surprise um, of this diagnosis and and what was inevitably going to happen. And you had planned your life, and mm-hmm. you had you know you had these expectations. You had you knew how you wanted things to go, and so even though we know that we will live and die. We know that that's, that's a truth that we're all very well aware of, but we have expectations and we map out how things are going to go. It so rarely happens according to our plans though. And you wrote about some of that bitterness and anger. Um, how did you throughout your story and throughout, you know, these months with your mom, how did you navigate those horrible emotions? Where have you been? Where are you now?
1: So when, when mom got diagnosed I think there was just obviously an element of surprise and denial that that first came out. We were told day one of that CT scan that this most, most likely is a terminal cancer. And so even though we heard those words, I think that it's human nature for us, maybe a protective mechanism that God gives us in those moments to just be able to set that aside, the reality of side for a short time. Um, mom's death was not my first experience with death. I've lost several people very close to me starting at age 14. And so um, when my one of my closest friends died when we were in the eighth grade, that was just a tragic moment that happened. And so having lost people in very sudden and tragic ways, this was really my first death experience with a long-term illness or disease. Mm-hmm. And so the grieving process for me looks so different with mom than what it did with the prior friends that I had lost in very sudden ways. And with mom I we asked the hard questions together. You know, she didn't want to die. She didn't understand why this was the story. She was only 71. She didn't have any other health problems besides her previous cancers. And so there was that element of doubt about what God was doing. But at the same time, she was able to trust him in her own, her own finality in a way that I wasn't able to trust him in hers. Mm -hmm. So the way that she looked at her last months on life with hope, with trust that this life wasn't the end really helped reshape how I looked at letting her go. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't afraid to, to voice her. Um, I wouldn't say she really had bitterness, but she just her disappointment in how her story turned out. Mm-hmm. But she was also then able to lament that and then look towards yeah. the hope of what was to come. And that truly was her greatest lesson that she ever has taught me in all of her 71 years is how to embrace my own mortality and that was not an experience I was expecting to to find from her Yeah. so now we're six years out of her death and I still have days that I'm really sad and there's days that I really miss her but I also have hope that her legacy is living on through our terminal and that she is with jesus fully healed and fully whole mm-hmm. and that is where my comfort lies in the really hard days yeah any
0: time that you know i've kind of been stuck in a cycle of <laughs> why me you know so mm-hmm. instead of asking why me you can say what do you have for me here it's mm-hmm. it's been a a nice reframe for me because yeah, that's good. the truth is our feelings are they're good servants, but they're terrible masters. Mm -hmm. And so I can get all, I don't know, just caught up in my feelings where mourning turns to moping, you know, Mm. and you can start to feel, you know, kind of an an entitlement really. Um, And I feel like this was probably a kinder conversation than it, than it reads like in Job, (laughs) or at least to me, but like, you know, all of the heartbreak that Job is going through. Um, and then the Lord, I would imagine ever so kindly asking him, right. where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's like so often, um, we can start to think that we have rights. You know, I have a right yes. to live this pain-free life because, um, I'm a good person. I'm a decent right. person. I'm a, I'm a good friend. I try hard. You know, I, I work hard. Yes. I, I make my bed. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Or because we're a believer in Jesus, sometimes we think that that alone can um, mean that we will not endure suffering. And that is pretty far from the truth that I've Of course, I mean, the king
0: of the world certainly did not Mm -hmm. have smooth, straight paths to sprint up. (laughs) We know that Jesus lived a life of suffering and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So why would we um, expect any different? And so it seems strange that suffering would lead to hope. Um, but that's just what you said. And so in my experience, it, um, it, it's the suffering that makes us ask these important yeah. questions, you know, and eventually the, the answers to those questions is that, you know what, my circumstances are confusing, but God's character is not. Right. And so just coming back to he's good and I can trust him. And right. it sounds like your mom got there in those final days. What a, what a
2: mm-hmm.
0: model, um, So you found so many beautiful things while your mom was dying. There were y'all were sharing precious memories, even cute little rituals of, Mm -hmm. you know, splitting a candy bar and a Coke, Um, you know, these inside jokes, these sacred moments. And um, we talked a little bit about this before this interview, but, you know, you hear often the the phrase of beauty from ashes. I'm just curious your take on the phrase. Um, I'm sure that this is something you've kind of turned around a little bit before, as as we hear it so often. Um, but how can others be um, receptive to beauty in the midst of of really hard pain?
1: I I like the phrase beauty from ashes, and you do hear it a lot, or see it on people's t-shirts, you know, nowadays. And I have experienced that. I have seen. In hindsight, hindsight is a beautiful thing sometimes. And in hindsight, I can see that God was all over those five months of mom's last chapter of life. And so there has been a lot of beauty that's come out of it, not just through our terminal and our nonprofit that we now run, but also just in the lives of my children and how they witnessed really their first major loss in life and how they got to experience that with her courage and with her hope for the future. So there's so many beautiful things that came out of her death. But my biggest thing when I hear that phrase is that I think there's beauty in the ashes too. I don't think that we have to wait for the end or wait for hindsight to show us Mm. what God was doing Mm. that if we're able to really, yeah, I think the hardest part about, especially when you're in the role of a caregiver or you're kind of front row seat to suffering like this is creating space to see God work, that the responsibilities that you have are so, so big and so overwhelming that it's really hard to create that space for you. But I think God is so faithful in that chaotic time and in that busyness yeah. to show us him if we just have our eyes geared that way. Yes. So- most mornings before I ever got out of bed I would tell God I can't do what's in front of me today it's it's beyond my my pay grade it's beyond what I can do but you can and just show me show me one way that you're working in today and he was so faithful to do that mm-hmm. so we saw a lot of beauty in that season and not just after and um I think that's when God does some of his very best yeah. work yeah it's like the art of paying attention
0: you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we know that God is so near to the brokenhearted. We know that we believe that so we can just start looking. Um, my very best friend lost her mom um, very quickly like you and was also her primary caregiver like you. And when she passed, it was um, this really tender moment between the two of them, um, just them two. And they were laying in bed together and she they were sleeping and she felt her her mom's breathing change. And, um, and she was there to, to pray her into, um, into heaven. And so it was just this really beautiful, um, touching time. But that year it was about 12 months that, uh, my best friend moved home and and took care of her. Um, she, she described it as a thin veil. There was such a mm-hmm. thin veil between yes. her and the Lord so much so that she felt like she could just reach up and, and poke a hole in it. Mm. that he was just so near and even though it was the most excruciating time of her life she looks back on it with such fondness and yes. so isn't that just a marvel um mm. to think that the most painful time in your life ends up being um the most touching the most beautiful mm. you know we, we learn so much from the lessons we would never choose. Mm
1: -hmm. So That's right. And then for some odd reason, somehow we still don't wish for those really hard seasons. Right. Even though I've experienced this closeness in it, I still don't want it to come. Yeah. And I think that's just because we're human, you know? Yes, exactly. So
0: gratitude um, can sound like such a platitude, right? (laughs) But Mm -hmm. you write about it so specifically. I mean, how many times have I been sad and someone say, oh, make a, you know, (laughs) make a gratitude list. And I'm like, (laughs) Um, but you, you let us in on your innermost thoughts um, so much so that the, the concept of giving thanks in your experience, it felt truly transformative. Like I was experiencing it through you and it really did feel transformative. Um, Can you share how the practice of, of giving thanks changed your perspective on all of the earthly, horrible things going on around you?
1: I think that was my biggest game changer, honestly, because I think that um, I'm a pretty glass half full person in general, but I had never really developed a habit of looking for the blessing in the day and then really turning that into giving thanks to the Lord for those Mm -hmm. things. And it took effort. Honestly, Um, in those early days, there were days where I mean, even a couple of times in the book, little things that I put out there, I mean, it was a stretch to find those things and it was yeah. like silly things that, you know, might seem silly to other people, but there was always something and really writing those down and recording them and remembering them really changed the, just the disappointment of the day that there were a lot of days, I mean, she was really sick in those five months and in and out of the hospital all the time. So there were many days that felt like they were wasted or felt like they Mm -hmm. were not like, maybe not good conversation happened, or maybe she was in a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. but to see that God was in that really did transform how I looked at everything. It just, it gave me a different lens on her last chapter of life.
0: You know, it reminds me of reading that we should pray for our enemies. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's like, but I don't want to. Well, well, that's not what it said. It didn't Mm -hmm. say want to pray for your enemies. I said, just do it. And then it's like, because you're trying to put a cart before a horse, right? It's like, but I don't I don't feel the inclination to do so. Okay, that's not what I said. I said, do it. Now start to watch the softening of your heart. Now start to watch, you know, it's becoming, you know, a little easier to find, you know, a silver lining or joy or, um, you know, even opportune moments to connect or whatever. So find what you can. You know, to be thankful for. And then, yeah, yeah. I just, I love um, kind of making the task manageable by starting really small. And you give really, really good examples of that. One day it was just, I put on mascara today. Yeah, I felt confident. I I I have great
1: eyelashes. (laughs) I knew it wouldn't run down my face that day, or I didn't know. I hope. So you use the phrase
0: in the devotional, beautifully broken. And we know that no relationship is perfect. We bump and we bruise each other along the way, and but we're family, and we desperately need each other. Um, how did the complicated relationships in your life shape up or fall apart or stay the same mm-hmm. Um during this process. As a person, you don't necessarily romanticize much. Um, You're just a a truth teller, how I introduced you. Um, And I'm certain that's why people feel so accompanied by you. But I'm just curious to know how maybe relationships that felt fragile or precarious or imperfect could withstand all of this stress.
1: I think that that was really one of the most redemptive parts of mom's last chapter of life and in a couple different relationships, but one was my parents. They had divorced several years before my mom had gotten sick and they'd been married for a very long time. And he knew her really well. He knew how to make her happy. They'd been married 34 years. And when she got diagnosed, he came out to Oregon about once a month and gave me a break to go and care for my own kids and get a little bit of self-care, but really loved her. Well, the last chapter for life, and they had had a messy divorce. Mm -hmm. The details were pretty hard and there was some unforgiveness there and seeing my dad love her very well in her last chapter of life was, was beautifully broken. And for my mom to be able to receive that love from him in Mm -hmm. return And he really was probably her biggest comfort in those last five months. And, and who would have thought we never, ever would have thought. And so the way that they ended was just a reminder to me that God is at work until that very last breath Mm, that he's in the redemptive business. And I think that's one of the things that I love most about him and he did that so beautifully in their relationship was just a testimony to, to what he can do when we, when we allow him to do it. Mm-hmm. My mom and I had a very complicated relationship in high school. She was my best friend, but the last five years of her life, a lot of it coming out of that divorce, but just other hard things that had come up in life, her and I had a, a pretty rocky relationship. And so, me stepping into that caregiving role felt very vulnerable for me Mm. and honestly probably for her as well because we had had some wounding and it hadn't all been cleared up and it would be dishonest of me to say that it all got cleared up before she saw Jesus face-to-face because it didn't but it will always be my greatest honor and privilege to care for her And I think that God did a lot in my own heart and in hers in us being able to have such an intimate relationship there at the end. And so I wouldn't have changed the story any other way for me to be that close and get to be her person, because I don't think on this side of things I would be as healed and whole in my relationship with her after her death as I would if I hadn't been able to care for her. Now that said, I don't think everyone who has a complicated relationship is called to be their parent's primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are sometimes it's better if you're not. And so I think that's where the Lord just gives us guidance and when to step in and, and what boundaries to have and how we're supposed to love. Cause there is not a formula for how it, yeah. it's, it should be done.
2: Yes. And,
0: um, thank but, you for that, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, okay, so you have a beautiful ministry that allows you to not just tell your story but use all of your giftings. um will you t- do by the way, do you think comforting people is your spiritual
1: gift? <laughs> um, it's not the one I would choose to have, but I think, <laughs> I think maybe it is.
0: Yeah, I know it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and name it and proclaim it. I think, (laughs) (laughs) um, okay. So tell us, tell us all about your ministry. Tell us what you hope for it. Um, what do you do and where can we find
1: you? So about three years after mom died, I, I founded our terminal, which is a nonprofit organization. And really our goal is to build faith-based content that can be distributed to families who are facing the last chapter of life. That could be for the patient themselves. It could be for a caregiver, family member. Our hope is to provide just a wide range of resources that really help people process and acknowledge their own pain while also seeing God's handiwork in what I call the difficult and most sacred chapter of life. And so right now we have one book our devotional that you mentioned that came out last summer. And then this month we're launching a second book that I'm so passionate and excited about. It's um, nothing like it exists anywhere. And I think it's, it's going to be a beautiful way for people to love a family member or friend by their bedside in those very final days of life. And so, but our hope really is to just build a wide range of content, not only to equip the caregivers, we have some online resources that are free to download, but to partner with hospices, hospice agencies, and churches, to really get these resources into the hands of the families that are already in their care. We have people that find us from all over the country and we're shipping things, but I think our greatest partnership will be to help give resources to people who are already loving people really well in this Mm -hmm. last chapter of life. And Mm -hmm. so that is our dream is to basically just be an equipper for chaplains and ministers and pastors and people that love people well at the very end.
0: Well, um, what do you need? Because we want to help. We believe in this and know it's important. So what do you need from us and how can we help?
1: A couple things that we need is we really just need to build awareness that we are here, and we are one of the only nonprofits doing what we do, but we just need the word to get out. So mm-hmm. whether you are in that last chapter of life or whether you know someone who is or have ever been or ever will be, then to share who we are, where um, where to find us. We're online, we're on social media at our terminal. We, um, we just need to build awareness and let people know that we're here. There's probably not a month that goes by that someone doesn't reach out and say, I found you because my friend told me you were here and I need your help. And it it happens all the time. And so we want to help as many families as we can. So spreading the word is an awesome way. We also have a giving day coming up on October 19th. It's a one day giving event and It takes place in the Brazos Valley where we live, but you don't have to be a resident here to give, but hundred percent of what you give will go back to our terminal. And what we're earmarking these resources for this year is to um, create a children's book that really walks kids through what it looks like to lose someone that they love. There's a lot of good children's books out there, but there's not a lot that talks about the hope a child can have in Jesus while they are saying goodbye to someone very close to them. So that is what we're earmarking. Every dollar that comes in through Brazos Valley Gifts is to create that children's book. So by giving, spreading awareness, praying for us and for our ministry, all of it means the world to us and makes a huge difference on the lives of these families.
0: So everyone go follow our terminal on social media and consider giving to our terminal through Brazos Valley gives. And then do you have a
1: website, Sarah, did you say that? I'm sorry. Yes. We're at www.ourterminal.com. So pretty easy to find.
0: Oh, Sarah, you are such a, um, compassionate place to land and I am so grateful for your story and for the way that you share it and your important work. Our life isn't about, um, any ideal, you know, it's not about uh pain-free living. Um, but instead it's that Jesus won't be dimly known, but one day we will be face to face. And so I just you are such a beautiful reminder to me. Um God's word tells us that uh pain and comfort uh go together and Mm -hmm. you um are such a beautiful tangible reminder of that to me, um, in your work, you help us just fix our eyes on the things that we can't see. And I'm so, so, so grateful that you're my friend. I'm so grateful. (laughs) It's really an honor (laughs) to get, to share your work. I love you so much.
1: Thank you, Alison. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yay. I wonder if we can edit out, edit out that I'm a (laughs) crybaby.
1: Thank you for your friendship and all the love you put out into the world. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving our terminal a voice. It means so much, truly. See ya.
0: Love you. Bye. Pink Salt Riot exists to empower women to radically stand in the truth of what God says about them, that they are beloved and that they are worthy exactly as they are. I know that it's important to me to shed a veneer of performance, to be able to show up authentically as I am and to live into the mission that God has exactly for me and all of pink salt riot products are created to be reminders of that and to anchor our daily lives right back to it pink salt riot creates jewelry and greeting cards and lifestyle goods and gifts that anyone who loves jesus would love follow them at pink salt riot on instagram and find them at (laughs) (laughs) pinksaltriot.com hi bb Hi. <laughs> okay, so last episode we gave a little context about why we call each other what we do. But um let's tell the kind listener how we met.
2: <laughs> okay, so we've been friends since we were eight years old. Yes, third we grade met Mrs. Pet's class. Miss Pet's third grade class.
0: Yeah. We were both um new to school on the first day of school. Oh yeah. And she, I don't know did something cruel and awful. Not really, but for an introvert like me, it was, she oh, yeah, asked us, Pet no, Pet Mrs. Pet. <laughs> Pet. Yeah, no. She asked us to find, um, a reading partner and I turned some lovely hues of, of pink and purple and put my head in my hands and stared at my shoelaces. <laughs> and you looked up bright eyed with, optimistic opportunity, um, to, to find a new friend. And you asked me to be your reading partner. And I've basically been learning life lessons from you ever since.
2: Okay. So I have a confession. I don't actually really remember that happening. (laughs) You don't remember that happening because you love me so much. I don't totally trust that you haven't embellished that quite a bit over the years, but I'm claiming it.
0: (laughs) No, that's 100% true. I I mean, I'm
2: mostly, I was like, who is this? night?
0: No, I was like, who is this nice girl that is asking me to be her partner? And then when I learned you were new too, I was like, get out of here. Okay, You're I need good. this person around me all the time to teach me lessons. Um, climbing up. Okay, so did you love Sarah Braden or what?
2: I mean, you have not had a guest on the podcast that I didn't want to share a couch and a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with. Um, and she was absolutely... Um, you know, on that list of just people that I would love to know better.
0: Yeah. Um, so you and I, we've been through so much together, just, I mean, when, when you've been friends since you were eight, um, you know, all the three-way phone calls and (laughs) broken hearts and various (laughs) mixtapes, various phases of bad bangs. I mean but and then i mean the real stuff you know the baptisms and the weddings and the and the funerals and the heartbreaks and victories and and just all the things devastations um and all of these highs and lows everything in between um one of my favorite parts of really living life with you that closely is loving the people you love and getting to know the people that you admire and so in that way i feel like my world is just Kind of doubled as far as role models and heroes. Like, for example, your preacher is one of my very favorite people Mm -hmm. on the face of the planet. So, anyways, so I love that you loved Sarah in our conversation. I just feel like y'all have a lot of similarities and we get along um, so well. What stood, this is obviously a topic near and dear to you as you lost your mom way too young, um, at a very young age. What about her thoughts or um, projects or I don't know, insights stood out to you?
2: Oh, well, I mean, you know, I have a special place in my heart for caregivers, right? Like, of course, and as it should be, there's always um, such a focus and emphasis on the person that um, needs to be cared for. But caregivers are not only having to, you know, grieve and deal with um, with the illness or whatever's going on, but then they're also having to have this incredible stamina and energy um, to care yeah. for the person, Um And they're also, as you know, firsthand, really hard to care for sometimes, right? I distinctly remember you being like perfectly, lovingly, appropriately frustrated that I wouldn't let you take care of me when I was taking care of my mom. And I remember saying to you, like, there's going to be time for that. I don't have time to be cared for right now because I got to focus everything on caring for her. Um, And so they're just really hard people to love that need a lot of love and space. And I think she just got that and sees that and is ministering to that.
0: Yeah, love and space, Um, permission. There was so much, like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know that this came through in our conversation necessarily, but when you look through her devotional, there is so much permission for that person to be exactly where there are. There are no, her devotional has zero expectations of what you should be feeling. It's just what you may or may not be feeling, you know? Um, You know, I, I watched you so closely during that time in your life, and there's this one memory I have of you that, um, is so vivid in my mind and you were greeting people at the viewing and I, um, was walking down a hall and I turned to the corner in the room, like the doors were wider than I thought. And so it was like, you turned to the corner and all of a sudden, like you were there mm-hmm. and I saw you and, it was just this overwhelm of emotions because first of all, you looked beautiful. Um, you were very obviously dressed up, but you had lost weight and that there was like this heart that made me like this heart lurching feeling, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. of just, um, I don't know, wanting to nurture you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, um, you were being so grown up, like you were shaking people's (laughs) hands and, um, -hmm. and that we were young, you know, and I just, I w- was admiring of you. You mm-hmm. were acting like such a grown up, and then, um, you were caretaking, like you were comforting people who were having their own experience at this. And so, and I knew in that moment that, um, you know, you weren't grieving right then because you were doing something else, but it was like the, I, there was this moment of clarity where it's like, I know that grieving isn't going, to isn't going to, um, it's not just something that's come and gone. Like this is something she's not grieving right now, but I know that this is going to be something that starts and stops for a, true. for a really long mm-hmm. um, time. And there was something about all of these things happening at once, like all of these emotions, all of these feelings, all of this, like admiration and and respect for you and, and care. Like I, I had to physically sit down and, and it was, um, which, and I'm not, you know, trying to make it about me, except it was awkward <laughs> that like your best friend's sitting in the hall. Um, and so I've just I've just never been prouder of you than I was mm-hmm. at that time in your life, and you've done some really incredible things.
2: Thank you, Beefy. It's um, a lot <laughs> trying to hold it together here. Uh, I remember that that well, um, and I'm and as you talked a little bit about in your interview, I'm so grateful for so many other things that I learned about myself and about caring for other people, my mom and other people during that time um, and got to see, you know, even more who my people were that were Mm -hmm. able to care for me at a time when I was really hard to care for. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that again. Um, i just going back to Sarah's interview. I really, really love the way that she talks about she talked about hospice a little bit, but I just love the idea, and this is going to sound really bad, but it's just true, or it sounds awkward, of normalizing death, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this thing that we fight and we don't want to acknowledge and that we almost yeah. pretend isn't inevitable. And I have distinct memories of meeting with um, our hospice team and talking to them about how to handle certain dis- situations, you know, what if this happened and what if this medication didn't happen in this sort of emergency situation, and then just having this peace and me being like, oh, well, then she'll die. Cause that's what we're doing here. Like we're preparing for that. And yeah. that's that is part of that is an inevitable thing that we're all gonna deal with. And just that she's you know giving space for that conversation and those thoughts, because I think it's less overwhelming and less jarring when you get there. If you've had opportunities to, um, to think about it and not, not as a bad thing, but as an inevitable thing and a potentially beautiful thing, even though it takes a lot to get to that. Place. Right. Wow. It's like,
0: it's this thing we dread, but we are never going to escape. Right. It's just we're, we're never going to escape it. And Sarah says all the time that peace can be your, um, companion. I just think that's you know, such a, a hopeful thing in the midst of, of, of something potentially terrible. Um, do you have, as someone who has been through this, do you have any kind of last piece of advice? Um, can you think of something important that maybe didn't come up about death or illness?
2: One thing that i thought a lot about is that one of the lasting things of grief or something that we can struggle with, um, for a long time is just the, um, what should have been, what we expected, and just just fighting that your story isn't what it was supposed to be. And so for me, there was a real piece when it finally hit me that, this was always my story. The day mm. I was born, the Lord knew that my mom was going to pass away when she was 49 years old and I was 22 years old. That was always my story. And the rest of the story is coming. And he was there before that part that I wasn't expecting happened. And he was going to be there afterwards. Um, and there's nothing that was taken from me. There's nothing for me to yeah. fight this internal struggle of like mm. something being not as it was supposed to be. Um, mm. that's, that was always my story. I just didn't know it. And now I know a little bit more of it and I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. Um, but for me, there was, there was some sort of release when I could just let go of the fight for what was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Gosh, that's really important. There's something so comforting about God not being surprised, even if you are, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's really, really good. Yeah. Well, thank you beef. Thanks for your thoughts. Love you so much. Love you. Okay, friends, is everyone already following at Junk Gypsy and at The Wonder Inn on Instagram? If not, scoot on over, I'll wait. I have spent the last decade admiring the talent of Junk Gypsy. Clothes, boots, jewelry, antiques. They're a little hard to bend down, a little airless, a little mapless, throwbacks, visionaries, but definitely creative misfits. And I thought that I loved everything there was to love about Junk Gypsy, but then I went and stayed at their farmhouse and now I am completely speechless. Almost. I wasn't completely sure when I was there. I was in heaven. But then they gently tapped on the door in the morning and they brought me warm biscuits. Go, you guys. It would be so perfect for a girls weekend. Go visit their store in Round Top. Go find their website at gypsyville.com. Follow them on Instagram at junkgypsy and at The Wander Inn. You won't be disappointed. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please join us next week to make that easier to not miss a thing. Please hit subscribe. If you're a new listener and would like to learn more about me, you can find my book on Amazon. It's called Rock, Paper, Scissors. If you would like to support the show, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash Allison Sullivan. See you next time. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to fortecatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.